People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Well, I do think there's an interesting line that says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Yeah. One, the grammar's awkward in English. But what does that even mean, that the kingdom would belong to such as these? Obviously, it's not an exclusive statement. It's just babies. <laughs> the kingdom belongs to babies. Right? Yeah. So I don't, that would be the first, maybe a question that I would have. Is, well, I, guess he's, I guess part of what he's saying is it's not... It's not um, the kingdom of God does not belong to children, but belongs belongs to people who are like children, or children and those that are like them, those that are childlike. <clears throat> what I thought was fascinating was the the emphasis on the word belong, like it's their possession, it's they own it. Um, the kingdom of God is owned by such as these. It always makes me think that this text in particular always makes me sort of, I think it makes any reader reflect on childhood. What does it mean to be a child? Because obviously he's saying that's the key somehow to being not just a part of the kingdom, but possessing the kingdom. That's the difference between, uh, it makes me think of that Old Testament framework of uh, possessing the land as opposed to like, visiting the land or looking at the land from a mountaintop or something like that or passing through the land to possess it means that all of it is yours even the bits you're not standing in you're not experiencing to 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 possess the kingdom of god i mean that's a i'd like to figure out what 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 that means or how do you what do you have to do or who or who do you have to be to be able to say the kingdom of God is mine. It's my home. I own it. And Jesus has no problem saying that it's these kids. <clears throat> so I think I think part of what I would want to um, uncover or peel back if we were having crucible this morning uh, is this idea of maybe the most plain reality for these kids has to do with place you know i think i think the way the text reads says they people were bringing children to jesus and then it says the disciples rebuke them so they the disciples are sending them away and then it says that jesus said no no bring them to me so it's like this this kind of jerking these kids around and the only i guess sort of ubiquitous trait in all three of those examples is they have no say um they have no sense of power no sense of place they go where they're taken 
first their parents are taking them. Like the kid that doesn't want to go see Santa's like in the malls crying on Santa's lap, you know, as their parents are like, come on, get you're gonna love this. Come see Santa. <laughs> I don't want to see Santa. <laughs> it's like you they don't kid the kids don't choose. They they go where their parents tell them to go. And then the disciples say, No, you can't go here, send no way. And then Jesus says, No, bring them back over here. So they bring them back over there. But, but they have no power in the story. Something really important about that, um, you know, having to do with place. So fundamentally, what does it mean to be a disciple? You know, it means to be, it means we follow. We're followers. We're not leaders. We don't want to lead God. In fact, our lives sort of unravel and get in trouble if we see, try to be leaders of God or lead God towards something or ask God to follow something we're doing. <clears throat> I mean, fundamentally, the proposition, the invitation from Jesus to us is always come and follow me. So that implies a couple of things. It implies powerlessness. It implies that we don't decide where we go. It still has to do with a sense of place. Um, submission, fascination, um, Jesus isn't saying, you know, make me a part of your life. He's not saying, um, you know, think of me often. He, he's saying, give up whatever you're doing. E even, even, even power control of the direction of your own life and follow me instead. Let me be the one that decides where you are. So that's a matter of place. Um, it's like how we grow and how we encounter God in this world in the most beautiful, most extraordinary ways are because we're out of place, because we're displaced by Him. <clears throat> I, you know, I like etymology, so I think of, I think of the word complacent. And what does it mean to become complacent? which is, you know, the sort of the, the prefix there is to sort of be with the same place over and over again, to never move. And part of what it means to follow, I mean, implicit in the idea that come and follow me, you're supposed to follow God, you're supposed to follow Jesus in this life, is a movement. You're always moving. So you're always being displaced. The, the life of a disciple is a life of displacement. And the the... The, I don't know, the antithesis of that would be complacency, to be in one place too long. And I think, I think what that's come to mean in English is like to lose your zeal or to lose your fire for something, certainly for God. I think we all know what it's like to feel complacent. Um, but there's a kind of like grace in displacement, which I think we miss sometimes we think something's wrong because I'm being displaced um, you know we don't have crucible this week because you know the inspectors wielded their uh, power and said no <clears throat> but soon I hope I believe we're going to be in a new facility a new theater and 
And for those of us that have been around a while, we might say, man, here, you know, here we go again. It's another place. And it's that displacement that I, I wonder is if it's actually supposed to be fundamental to our life with God. Always finding ourselves in new places because actually uh, he's leading us there. <clears throat> I recently moved. I think, I think people probably know that after living for you know 20 some years in the same neighborhood, I just started feeling this strange urge um, to look, look for a certain kind of house in a certain kind of place in the center of the city. And you know, it's, it's a long story and it's sort of, it really is an extraordinary story because it was really just, it really was a matter of just this one house. And if, if, if we were able to work out what, what seemed to be a pretty improbable series of events, um, then we would do it. But if not, then we wouldn't because of Sappy. In fact, uh, you know, it's been hard actually, almost, I don't know, upsetting to leave. Um, the neighborhood that I love so much and is part of who I am. But the truth is, um, sometimes our physical reality mirrors a deeper reality. And sometimes um, God wants to change that deeper reality, so he needs us to change our surface, circumstantial, physical reality. I think that's I think that's what God is up to, at least with us in this last move, because I'm still not sure why we're in this new neighborhood I and mean, we're trying to start again. And maybe that's the point, really, is to wake us up, to wake me up again, to be a novice, to be a beginner missionary, to be in a new place, in a new neighborhood, and have to meet the neighbors. And I, I can't say I own this street. You know, I've lived here for 20 years, lived here longer than anybody, and and it just became comfortable. And that's that is that is the epitome of complacency. And, and, and the, the, the displacement as the grace of God is that I get this fresh sense of the world, this fresh sense of, of our city. In fact, just by moving me, uh, what, three and a half miles north from where we lived before, the, world, the whole city seems different. Uh, the, the routes you take to get places, the choice, you know, I'm closer to the, the, this Home Depot than that Home Depot. And so your whole world changes. I mean, my whole world changes when, when the Home Depot changes, you know. Um, so that displacement is actually something that, that, that draws us closer to Him, shakes us up. It's a, something really beautiful uh, and important. But we, we tend to look at it as negative, you know, as, a, as an unsettling of our lives in some way. But I wonder, I wonder if we're just reading that wrong. You know, um, you have kids. Do your kids ever not want to eat their food all the time? Yeah. It's a battle every evening. So what you do, and all, all parents know this, and if you don't, if you're a new parent, this is what you do. <clears throat> if your kid doesn't want to eat their food, um, it's just classic parenting uh, technique is you, you turn the spoon into an airplane. That's what you do. You say, mm, here comes the... Here comes the peas. They're coming. I, you want them right now. I see you. You want them. <clears throat> you know, they don't want their peas. They don't want their carrots, whatever. So you, 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 turn, you turn the spoon into an airplane. And it works. Oh, it's bringing it into the hangar, you know. And, and suddenly, suddenly the, the, the cargo is more precious. The, 
the process is more wonderful and kids are in you know for that I was I was thinking about that today because I'm thinking I'm thinking you know what what other things in our lives are like that you know where um, the spoon is really an airplane and 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 actually we think that we're fabricating something in order to get our kids to do something we think we think that we're tricking them into believing that the spoon is an airplane but here's the thing what is an airplane you know an airplane is just a a vehicle that carries something in the air well that the spoon is an airplane actually we made it an airplane with the power of our hand to lift it into the air and to deliver this cargo I mean, we we took something mundane and we made it extraordinary and that that happens and the kids see that and we think that that's not what's happened but actually they know that is actually what has happened i think that's what's i think that's what goes on when god is displacing us i think that the that the the displacement the spoon is, a, is an airplane. The displacement is grace. It's him. He, he's doing something. He, he wants us to, to see the world a new way and to shake us from our complacency. And maybe it's just we need to be more like children and see it for what it really is, you know, God's hand. Took a, I just took a trip, kind of a one-on-one -on -one time with Simeon, the 14-year-old, number five. And um, you know we haven't had a, a ton of time, just he and I, so I just took this kind of really special trip. And uh, we, were, we were flying back home, and we had to fly from London through Oslo, Norway, and then um, home, that, a direct flight to Orlando. <coughs> So it's a little backwards. I mean, we kind of had to go backwards to catch a connection to get the cheapest thing home. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you're already losing some time. And there's a part of me that's very time conscious, especially in traveling. I'm, I'm, I can be sort of cranky about traveling and time and so on. So I'm already a little bit put off. We have to get before 4.30 in the morning. We've got to get it at, you know, to the airport by 6 and, and catch a flight at 6.30. And so it was really a rough morning. And then we're, we're maybe 30 minutes out from Oslo, and the captain comes on, and he says, um, I'm sorry uh, to inform you that there's ice and snow on the runway at Oslo, so we're going to have to divert. We're going to have to divert to another airport. There's, like, words you, you never want to hear, especially if you're interested in your time, you know. So we get diverted to this little rinky-dink airport, in the southern part of Norway. <laughs> but it was funny because even as he's on the intercom and he's saying this, we're, we're going to divert. I don't know, something, maybe I'm just growing older or maybe I'm, I'm growing up. Uh, maybe God is, I don't know, having his way with me over time. But I, I, thought, I thought, this is good. Something good is going to happen here. Like... Um, I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not. And that, that in and of itself is strange because, again, normally the way I would react to these situations would be pretty negative. 
but I was just I just became aware suddenly of the grace of God and the, the sovereignty of God, the hand of God over my life. And I just thought, there's something good about this. Now, I had already thought it's kind of a shame that we're going to be flying through Norway, but we won't be able to get out. We won't be able to see another country. Simeon doesn't get another stamp in his passport and that kind of thing. Well, here's what happened. The, the flight lands and this little airport, Torp or something like that, is the name of the, the city. There's no planes. There's an airport with no planes. We were the only plane. So there's only one plane in the whole airport. It's us. We get out. It's just one like, room. And they say, we're, they're going to send a bus for you. And it's going to be a two and a half hour drive to Oslo. So they're, they're going to get us to Oslo for free. Here comes this bus. We have to wait a few minutes. So we wait. This bus comes. And dude, we took the most extraordinary free bus ride through the mountains of Norway, these snow-capped mountains. And it was just, it was breathtaking. This is for a kid that's only ever seen snow once in his whole life, you know. And I just thought, and it was just enough time. You know, this, this woman behind me was like, are you, are, are you on the flight to Orlando? Are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And I said, I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to be okay. I was, I was just totally at peace with the whole thing. And uh, do you know we got there in just enough time to walk through the gate, get through, walk through, and then get on the plane. So whatever that, whatever that time period was of the layover, which we would have just been sitting in this airport in Oslo, we had this extraordinary journey through the mountains for free. The spoon is a plane. The displacement... I mean, I suppose we could look at it as a, as a problem in our lives when God is moving us and we don't want to be moved or changing something, our job, our relationships, the places we live. Maybe we're trying something in ministry and it doesn't quite work, so we have to try somewhere else. Or maybe, maybe it's going great and you're doing something that's just so awesome, but yet you feel that stirring or God actually wants you to try something else to be in a different place. It just seems like it's fundamental to what it means to be a disciple is to follow and to ask that question, where next? Where do you want me next? And that's how we possess the kingdom because we're up for that. You know, no, no, one, no one gets the kingdom. No one gets in the kingdom and no one gets to possess the kingdom unless they're like that. Unless they're powerless in a sense over their, whole, their own life and they have wonder in the being led to new places, new things. So I don't always want that to be the way it is in the underground. You know, sometimes I wish we could stay put a little bit, but that's, that's, uh, that's probably the, the um, I don't know, the less faithful version of me. But it's in moments like this where we find ourselves in a new place, a new home, and we look around and we say, well, these are the same chairs, aren't they? But everything else is different. Um, that's the grace of God.